Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for joining me once again. We got a lot to talk to about the, yeah, and thank you for waving, Mike. We got a lot to talk to about the Vikings. It's been two weeks since we've um, previewed free agency. A lot has happened since then. We'll talk about the signings, the comings, the goings, what's going to happen next, uh, what's going to happen with the offensive line. I think Mike's got a lot to say about that. And then, of course, we take your Twitter questions. I think we need to start, though, with how the Vikings maneuvered this lowered salary cap. Ben, you've written a lot about that in the past couple of weeks and how they freed up money to go get guys like Dalvin Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson. It cost them some players, but I think for the most part, the releases weren't as bad as they were maybe around the league where you've seen some teams release waves of players. The Vikings did cut Riley Reef. They did move on from Kyle Rudolph, as we talked about at length. Um, those were the notable ones, though, in terms of the cuts they had to make. Otherwise, it was Dan Bailey, Shamar Steffen, um, guys that they're going to look to replace and upgrade from moving forward. But they bring in Dalvin Tomlinson. They bring in Patrick Peterson. Those are the two big defensive signings, and they kind of buy from the offense a little bit to improve that defense. We'll get to all that. But, Ben, please help us understand how they did this and then kind of the levers they had to pull to make sure they had enough money to go spend to improve this roster. Yeah, so they pulled some levers. And I've followed the cap stuff pretty closely for a while. And the Vikings typically like to be a – pay-as-you-go team. So in other words, things hit the cap when they pay for them. They don't borrow on credit, so to speak. They they don't they have not tended to do big signing bonuses. They tend to just want things to hit the cap when the cash leaves, which is a sensible way of doing it. It is harder to do that when you have a roster with big contracts, which they've had for the last few years. And they had to be especially nimble this year because the cap went down. They weren't planning for that. Nobody was. Nobody could see the future, but it did, and they had to adjust while trying to keep their team together because this is a team that needs to win now. So it meant that Rob Brzezinski, their salary cap guy, had to be awfully creative. Where's the money, Brzezinski? So when you hear that sound, that's typically the our, our, little, our fun little way of trying to unearth what the Vikings are up to. Where's the money, Brzezinski? I think it's a daily delivery creation, but we'll bring it over to Access Vikings as well. A lot of ins, uh, outs, and what have yous uh, with yeah. salary this year. You're you're not privy to all this new-ish, so we're going to let you in on the new-ish. Um, I think Anthony Barr's restructure is probably the one that encapsulates the most of what they did because it had just about all of it. So, so basically what they did there is... And this took like a week for anybody to figure out what was going on because the details that he took a pay cut came out, but not the details of how they did it. So they basically had him take a pay cut down to $10 million instead of, you know, just shy of 13. So you save some money that way. And then they took that 10 million and basically gave him a $1 million base salary out of that. Well, now, why is that important? Because base salaries hit the cap in the year that they are paid out that you can't do anything funny with them. Signing bonuses are different. You can spread signing bonuses out over the life of a contract. So usually that can be up to five years. In Barr's case, it's three because that's what he had left. So they, they took 
eight and a half or well, 8.4 million dollars and spread it into a signing bonus that they then put in the cap over three years well okay so that drops some of his number and then he has his per game roster bonuses and he has his workout bonuses and all this kind of stuff so he gets 10 million dollars in cash but it'll count for just over six million against the cap this year now why would Anthony Barr do all this? Because the implicit threat is if you don't, we're either going to cut you or trade you. But Anthony Barr is not a guy that is at the end of his career. He still has some value, so he has to get something back. So what they then tell him is, okay, we will lower your salary for this year, but we will void the last two years of your contract so that you can get out and have another chance to be a free agent. See if you can make more money get to the open market when you're a little bit younger. Okay. So they said, fine, we'll do that. So now he's got three years left on this deal. But the signing bonus, how does this help this year? So basically what ends up happening then is the leftover parts of his signing bonus, this 8.4 million that they split into three, the other two pieces of it, the other 2.8 million hits the cap in the last years of the deal. But then when it voids, all of that money hits the cap the year that he is gone. So his last two years, this is confusing to listen to in an audio format. We wrote about this earlier this week. Uh, easier probably almost to listen to it or to read through it that way. But basically what's going to happen is the rest of that signing bonus is going to hit the cap after this year, as is the rest of his bonus from the original deal he signed in 2019. So all, what that's going to essentially mean is his cap number in 2022 will be bigger than his cap number this year, even though if this sets up the way that it currently looks like it will, he will not be on the roster. They will be paying him more against their cap to not be on their roster next year than they will be for him to be on the roster this year. Why would they do that? Well, the other big news last week in the NFL was these new TV deals. The, the NFL basically almost doubled their TV rights for the next 10 years with new deals with ESPN, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and then Amazon to do the Thursday night games. What that's going to mean is every team is banking on the cap going back up after this year. So you can put all this money into future years of the deal because you're figuring, okay, stands are going to be full again next year. There's going to be people in stadiums. The new TV deals are going to inject all sorts of new money into the NFL. We're going to have the cap go back up and we can deal with the costs, even though we're going to have maybe $10 million for Anthony Barr on our cap and, we, they pulled some of these same tricks with Adam Thielen. They did it with Delvin Tomlinson's deal. They have a lot of money paying out to players who either won't be on the team or um, are just they're pushing off costs into the future that's going to be on their cap. But they're figuring it'll be okay because all of this new money is coming up. And when the new money comes in, the cap goes up. So a lot of this is them borrowing from the future to pay for the president, basically saying, let's get through this year so that we keep our roster together. And if we don't, it might be somebody else's problem in the future anyway. So a lot of this is let's get a, a team that we think can be competitive this year and we'll worry about the rest of it later. But the form that it takes is quite intricate and it's some things I have not seen them have to do before just because they haven't been in this position before. I was a mildly concerned when I, I threw it to Ben and said, get wonky with the cap, how far we would go. But that was very good. That was that was clear. It was good because everybody who read it would understand clearly as well. And I encourage people to go back and read what Ben wrote because it'll supplement what you just heard regarding how the Vikings did this. But Mike, that's just one of the contracts. I didn't even get <laughs> Mike, uh, but respond, I guess, to, to I'm interested to get your thoughts on the second part of what Ben said in terms of this is 
a little bit reflective too of a, of a ownership or excuse me, a leadership with a GM and a coach who kind of does need to win in 2021. It's a one-year deal with Patrick Peterson. It's keeping together this roster with Anthony Barr through at least one more year, as Ben said, at the potential cost of hurting you against the cap without him in 2022. I guess, how do the moves reflect to you as somebody who's watching it from afar? I mean, I think desperation is maybe a little too far, but it does, I think, I think it speaks to um, urgency at the very least on Rick Spielman and probably Mike Zimmer too. Like, you know, and I, I wrote about this a little bit that it, it, it feels like, you know, that I don't know what their status is exactly, but, you know, after a seven win season last year, after the kind of up and down, up and down, if they have another seven or eight win season, they could easily be gone. And so they probably recognize that. And if they are, you know, in this kind of make or break season, they want to give themselves the best opportunity to win. Now, I think they can sell it as there's this future cap coming, you know, everybody is going to get hurt this year. We got to do something to put a competitive team on the field because, you know, the cap went down 16 million. We weren't ready for this anyway. Usually, you know, the difference between what it would normally be and what it is right now is probably more like 25, 28 million if it had gone up the normal amount, but it absolutely feels like they are, gearing up to try to win now and, and save their jobs to a certain degree. And, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's a, that's a way to, uh, that's a way to operate, but it, it does, you know, it, it does feel like that's, that's kind of what they're doing and they're placing a lot of their bets on the defense. And I feel like that's, you know, that maybe is a little bit or maybe more than a little bit of Mike Zimmer's influence. He's saying, if I, if, if I'm going to get one more shot to do this, give me, the defense that I think I can, I can use to win 10 games, to get back to the playoffs and, and keep this thing going. Yeah. Mike, it was, or excuse me, Ben, it was a couple years ago. We were listening to Zimmer talk about, I think it was three years ago, I guess, listening to Zimmer talk about how, you know, we got here to a certain place, NFC championship team appearance. We got here a certain way. Let's not borrow too much from that. This feels a the little bit like two weeks before they signed Kirk Cousins. Yep. Wide open spaces. He wanted to talk about wide. Yeah. doesn't want to talk about windows. He wanted to talk about wide open spaces. Those that's well, spaces are getting a little tighter now. This, this kind of feels like a correction a little bit from Zimmer's standpoint of we're going to pull eight, 10 million for Patrick Peterson. We're going to pull more money toward the defense. And yeah, we might lose Riley reef whom they wanted to keep, but couldn't because of money. I think an indicator to something that we've all kind of suspected that, you know, Mike Zimmer is not the GM, but I think we've all seen it and we've seen influences of it that Rick Spielman listens fairly closely to what Mike Zimmer is telling him, which I'm sure is delivered calmly and um, without any level of emotion or emotion in his voice i'm sure it's very you know uh, rick I, I appreciate you taking the time today i'd like to lay out my five-point plan of why we need to improve the defense i've got a powerpoint i've got um leave behinds is that what the deliverables uh, people that are in more <laughs> corporate meetings than we are can know the jargon but i'm sure that's how it goes um probably a suit and tie you know whole thing I, i'm sure it's very well polished um, definitely maybe not hand in... off to Andre Patterson. I, I'd like to kick it over to Andre here to, to explain what we need to add to the defensive line. Thanks, Mike. I'll take it from here. Um, <laughs> wh- however it's delivered, that or some other way, I, I, you get the sense that Rick Spielman is listening to what Mike Zimmer tells him he needs, and I'm sure that was – and we heard him say at the end of the season about I misjudged the roster. I probably overestimated how quickly we could get this thing back together. So you see – the Patrick Peterson move with the young secondary and you see Dalvin Tomlinson come in to play next to Michael Pierce. Dalvin Tomlinson will be the three technique tackle. 
Uh, that feels like a fairly direct response to what happened on Christmas Day when they got embarrassed by Alvin Kamara that in a game that effectively ended their playoff chances five days after the Bears all but ended their playoff chances by running the ball down their throat. So I think he looked at it as we need to be able to stop the run and we need some kind of a veteran presence in that secondary. You do those things, you hopefully get Daniel Hunter back, you get Anthony Barr, and then you go from there. They still need more pass rushing probably, but I think the priorities were established to say, let's stop the run. Let's probably try to get a pass rusher. That got probably more expensive than they could have done, but um, let's fix the defensive line at a couple spots and then let's add a veteran in the secondary. Yeah, and I want to talk about, did they get better? I mean, Mike, what do you think? When you look at this roster on paper, it's it's tough because winners in free agency are rarely winners um, come September, but do you think the Vikings bought themselves more talent to improve that roster? I, I, don't, I don't think there's a doubt they did. Um, it, it's a question of how it comes together. And they're making big bets on the defense, right? And, you know, you look at what, you know, who was the starters. I, I, I looked at who was the starters in that New Orleans game. We, don't, we always forget, too, like Eric Hendricks missed a decent chunk of the end of last season, too. And that was, you know, kind of the final blow for that defense, I think. And they were even missing, like, another, their linebackers in that game were just, it, outside of Eric Wilson, were kind of un, undecipherable, indecipherable. And the, the secondary was was banged up by that point. You still didn't have Hunter. You didn't have Pierce all year. So defense is undoubtedly better. I don't know if you vault back into the top five, but you've got the potential to be top 10, top 12 defense. You pair that with an offense that hasn't gotten a lot worse and was already pretty good. Like, let, let's just just hear me out. Like, I'm, I'm, we're going to get to the offensive line later. There's a good question about it that I'll, I'll kind of go off at that point. But they were already a good offense with a bad offensive line last year. So I don't know how much worse the offensive line can be. Maybe we'll find out. Um, but they still have a lot of their skill players, right? They still got Justin Jefferson, still got Adam Thielen, still got Kirk Cousins, still got Irv Smith, still got Dalvin Cook. Like the the the, the side of the ball that needed more attention was the defense. And then they've maybe they've overcorrected a little bit, and maybe we need to see what they're gonna do on the offensive line still. But I think they have the makings of of a good team next year. I don't know what their ceiling is, but I don't think there's any doubt they got better. I don't, I don't think they got a whole lot worse on offense, to be honest. Yeah, Ben, I, I want to get your thoughts on Dalvin Tomlinson and Patrick Peterson and, and just kind of how those signings came together. But I did have one thing written down about this kind of topic of did they get better? I remember Rick, when we talked to him in March, his one availability of the offseason mentions that he really likes the um, offensive linemen and really likes the pass rushers in the draft and he better because those two things did not get better this month. I have a hard time at this point saying that they are definitively better. I certainly, I think the defensive line is going to be better. That is also uh, assuming Daniel Hunter is here, which I, I think he will be. Um, I don't think it's as dire as some would suggest that he's going to be gone tomorrow. And they have some things they have to work out, but I think he'll be here. Um, so I think the defensive line is better. I am curious to see what they get from Patrick Peterson, who was not very good in coverage last year. So you're banking on him rebounding. You're banking on those young corners getting a year better. You're banking on Anthony Barr being healthy. Uh, the offensive line concerns me. I, I, I think taking your left tackle out of a group that already had a lot of trouble protecting Kirk Cousins is not something that you can just sit there and say, well, oh, We'll find a new one. It'll be fine. Maybe they will. Maybe they move Brian O'Neill. Maybe they draft somebody. Maybe they figure something else out. The, the problem I have with the overall thing 
is we have seen a lot of years where the Vikings take the approach of everything that went wrong, we'll get it fixed. And then everything that went right, it'll go right again. We won't have any issues. Everything that worked is going to be fine. Dalvin Cook's going to stay healthy again. Um, we're going to have Kirk, we're going to have Kirk Cousins fix his turnover issues. We're going to have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson together. We're going to get, continue to get better. Teams are going to be keying on Justin Jefferson, but we'll find the third receiver somewhere in the mix. Irv Smith, Tyler Conklin are going to take steps forward. I, you can, it's hard in the NFL, especially when the cap is what it is to sit there and say, we're going to fix every little thing at the same time that we have to attend to our more obvious needs. But it does strike me a little bit, especially on the offensive line, like the approach we've seen them use sometimes where it's let's fix the, the holes that we had last year. And then everything that we did right is just going to happen that way again. So that part gives me pause a little bit to say, when you ask the question of the better, I, probably I don't think I could say that emphatically at this point as, as far as how the deals came together. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, especially in the case of Tomlinson, it was, they wanted to add to that group and then they had to figure out some, some creative ways to do it. So they threw up, they threw the void years in there at the end of his deal to spread out that signing bonus. And that will lead to money on the back end after he's gone to, but um I think overall, the fact that if you have him and Michael Pierce, it will help plug up the middle and you won't have people running the ball down your throat to the same degree that they did last year. Well, it was interesting to me that they obviously wanted to improve the defense through free agency. That was the primary goal. The defensive line was a priority atop looking at different defensive ends, having interest in Carl Lawson, looking at some of the guys that were available there. But they bring in Stephen Weatherly, and that's really the only pass rush they bring in you're going to hear them talk about Dalvin Tomlinson being an underrated pass rusher, but that's not what the guy is. He, he can bring that. He can do that. He, basically he'll, he'll put an offensive lineman in a quarterback's hip. He'll basically bench people into the backfield, but he's not Aaron Donald. He's not Sheldon Richardson. He's none of the guys. Like that are, well, yeah. And I think, I think Dalvin brings a little bit more than that. Cause he's lighter, a different, a little different player, but yeah, um, you're right. You're right. Linville brought some pass rush. Certainly. It's just not the kind of game-changing, schematic, altering, like we need to plan around this guy pass mm-hmm. rush that Mike Zimmer has long been looking for at that spot. And so they kind of went a different direction. They leaned more into the, let's get a more well-rounded version of Shamar Stefan. Let's just kind of lean more into this, try to form another Williams wall kind of thing. And let's just let Eric Kendricks be the all pro behind him. Um, but Ben- in Kevin Williams of- brought pass rush to that group though. That's the one difference. I mean, Kevin Williams in his heyday was a great pass rusher. That's a good point. People don't really, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of overlooked a little bit. We didn't cover him in his heyday. That's part of it. You and I were around when he was at the end. Yeah, we came in when he was getting moved to nose tackle and still getting two and a half sacks against Washington on some Thursday night game. Uh, That's right. Um, But Ben, in terms of the deals coming together, I found it interesting in terms of their targets. We know they wanted to improve at corner as well, but Patrick Peterson wasn't even somebody that was really on their radar. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting, number one, of how that came together. And number two, that Rick Spielman was as forthright about that as he was the other day when we talked to him. Uh, I guess when, when he gave his opening remarks, he didn't take questions on either Peterson or Tomlinson or anything else that might have come up um, among topics on the defense that may or may not have been broached in a press conference. Um, he said that basically – they didn't think they could get Patrick Peters because they didn't think they could afford him until Joel Siegel called and said, Hey, uh, do you 
want to talk about trying to bring this guy in. And I think Patrick Peterson probably had an affinity for Mike Zimmer from having seen some of what he had done with young corners or older corners, I should say, but, but corners, young and old corners of all ages. Zim is a friend of corners of all ages. Um, so I think that was part of it, but I was uh, texting with a, a, a friend the other day that brought up, uh, what does it say that the agent maybe thought the Vikings were going to be the team that would pay um, for a, for an older corner? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, and, they, and they've been a team that has paid people. They've been a team that has paid for defensive players. So, and maybe it was just that it was a scheme fit, but maybe it was also, Hey, we know this team will, will spend some money on a corner, even if it's not a, a 27, 28 year old defender at that position. So we'll have to see how that one works out. I, I think I like the Tomlinson move probably more than the Peterson move. I understand why they made them both. I think Tomlinson probably is a little bit more of a sure thing at this point. And, and Peterson, when he is at his best is one of the elite cover corners in the NFL. Um, the question is, at age 31, will he still be that? And that's maybe where Mike Zimmer gets to, to try to prove that he can do the same kinds of things with Peterson at the end of his career that he did with Terrence Newman, Deion Sanders, and Peterson brought that both those names up as well as Leon Hall, Jonathan Joseph, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, the whole approach on defense, I think, is, uh, is going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, it will be. And, and I think – Correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but I think this means they won't draft a corner at 14 overall. I you can always use one more. <laughs> you can always true. use one more. Yeah, probably not, though. I, I feel like uh, – I don't know if they're painting themselves into a corner, um, no pun intended. I feel like they're they're probably – you got to probably be looking either – I mean, like Rick said, I mean, offensive – he kind of you – know, I don't know if he is tipping his hand intentionally, but when he, the, when he talks about the things that they're deep at in a draft, he's kind of – showing you a direction they might go um and remember they don't have a second round pick this year they could probably try to get back into that spot so they got to really nail this first round pick and then hope for some some good moves in the third and fourth round but i i gotta think that there's going to be some some real effort to go after a tackle uh, with that 14 pick and i think with the latest mel kuyper mock even has them moving up to the number nine spot uh, getting getting that pick from from Denver and really going big there with offensive line, but we'll see if they don't. You know, you never know how the draft is going to go. You, you don't have your pick of everybody when you're picking 14th. You can only move up so far and, and give up so much. So it's it's a like they always do. It's a risk that they are running um, when when they don't don't address the the you know the offensive line in the first wave of free agency. Yeah, and they've got some wiggle room here with a little bit of cap space to potentially sign somebody um, in terms of like a mid-tier offensive lineman, but it's not going to be, you know, necessarily fitting in a franchise left tackle unless they find a way to trade for Orlando Brown. Um, before we get to the Twitter questions and the mailbag, Ben, we should talk a little bit about Daniil Hunter. Um, what have you heard regarding his situation um, in terms of just you had mentioned earlier that you feel like it's probably trending towards him and the team working something out. The, the issues, as I've heard them, are, are kind of as we've laid out. Certainly the contract is an issue. He, he wants to get paid. He feels like that contract that he had signed was, was probably overly friendly at the time, and now it has been far surpassed. You know, Joey Bosa is obviously making $27 million a year. I've heard that mentioned as where Hunter sees himself and where he wants to be, and when you, when you line his numbers up against 
any young pass rushers in the league, he has reason to think that he should be there. Now, the caveat, of course, is his neck, and you need to know that he's going to be full go. Um, and certainly what he's posted on his Instagram page suggests he's in good shape, but it's hard to, to read a lot into that until the pads go on and, and you have a better sense of what he's going to do under contact. So I think it's that. I think there was certainly a little bit of frustration with how the injury was handled last year. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, but I, I think they have some things they have to work out. I don't think it's Stefan Diggs level, largely because Hunter is not Diggs. Hunter is not the type that will go out and try to, to stir a lot of stuff up on social media. I mean, yes, we've seen him like some tweets and, and yes, we've seen a little bit of that and uh, profess support for his agent, but not the Vikings that, you know, that came up a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but I, I don't think it's going to be this sort of provocative strategy to say, let me see how much I can stir up and, and see how this goes. The only question I have is how will that relationship will will both sides do what they need to do to get it fixed i i think the pieces are there for it to get fixed given the fact that hunter is probably not the type that's going to hold a grudge forever but it, it takes both sides i i think there is some work that needs to be done on both sides of this and it, i think there were reports that they talked on the phone but um i think there are some other things that still need to happen certainly the contract would be a big part of it but um, yeah, I, I think we will end up with it getting solved, but there's still some things that need to happen for that to get to that place. Yeah. Cause if you plug Daniil into this Vikings lineup, once again, it, it's that pass rush becomes a lot less, um, suspect yep. <laughs> certainly. Um, all right, let's get to some Twitter questions here. We got a good one from Matt Carlstrom wants to know by game eight is Patrick Peterson starting at safety. Mike, what do you think? I don't think so. I feel like the lot got made about his potential eventual move to safety. I don't think they're, I don't think they're, I don't think he's going to be a safety with the Vikings. I feel like he's here on a one year deal. That's not the kind of move where you transition a guy mid year on a one year deal. Um, I, I think he's a corner. I mean, unless, unless they get desperate and unless they get, you know, Dantzler and Gladney and, you know, whoever else in there is just, you know, is, is handling that spot to a degree that you don't need him. They need him at corner. Yeah, Something that, 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 million bucks or eight million bucks, I guess it is, with potentially go to ten with incentives to be a safety. I, I think if you're gonna do that, there would have been cheaper ways to do it, including Anthony Harris. So I, I think they certainly paid him to be a corner. Yeah, the, the Vikings tried to retain Anthony Harris before he signed with the one year five million dollar deal in Philadelphia. They've got that hole to fill, but yeah, are you gonna pay eight, as you said, eight to ten million dollars to do it for a guy who's the kind of corner that the Vikings really like, Mike Zimmer really wants. We know the fit. Um, it's it's an obvious fit at that position. I think that all got drummed up because Patrick had said something a month ago about being open to it, but there's been zero signs that the Vikings are going to be the ones to move him to to safety at this point. One thing not um, to overlook about uh, Patrick Patterson, too. He has started all 16 games in nine of his 10 seasons. That was one thing that jumped out at me when just looking at his stats. He has been durable and i gotta imagine that's an appeal to zimmer as well he's never missed a game to injury yeah the only games he missed were due to a ped suspension so we can we got um another question here um again, oh here we go mike are you ready for this one uh it's oh, about ready. the it's about the offensive line um i gotta find it ben it's from your buddy um do you have it from joel up? i yeah. got it here 
Okay, there you go. All right. Uh, Joel asks, is there an internal philosophy that, intentional or not, leads the front office to devalue offensive line? Do they think they can take below average cheap players and make them good? Is it that they think the OL is not an important position? Or does Rick Spielman just want Cousins to die? I don't know. They, they've, they've, I feel like they've changed their approach to a certain degree. I mean, we, you know, there was the old stat where they hadn't drafted anybody in the, you know, except for Khalil in the first round for, you know, top three rounds for a long time. They've drafted guys. They've, they've taken their swings there. You know, Garrett Bradbury is a first round pick, you know, Brian O'Neill, second round pick, Ezra Cleveland, second round pick, even Elfline going back to 2017 is a third round pick. So they've, they've tried it in the draft. They invested in it um, in 2017 with reef and Remmers. You know, they've, they've done various things. So I don't think it's like they've ignored it. I just don't know if they're very good at it. I don't know if they're very good at evaluating offensive line talent. And I think this year it is interesting, though, because they've, they've definitely placed a bet on defense. And they're saying, we're going to address the offensive line later. Maybe they're thinking they can get a guard or a relatively low price, and maybe they address tackle in the draft, and that kind of shores things up. But they don't make, a, they don't make it a priority. And I, th- I think... If I had to guess, and I've seen this kind of philosophy or this opinion, you know, out there in other places from from people who know football pretty well, like the there's not a, a massive difference between a adequate or good offensive line and an elite offensive line. Like you don't have to have the best offensive line in football to to be to have a good offense to protect your quarterback to do the things you want to do on the offense. All you got to do is be above average, like, you know, in the 12 to 15 range is probably enough to get by. They just have, but they haven't even gotten to that level in almost every year, maybe 2017, they approached that, but they haven't even gotten to that level. So I think the problem is maybe that's what they, that maybe that's what they're thinking. Like we don't have to be great. We just have to be good. But the problem is they haven't even been good. The other thing, all of the names you mentioned. So Bradbury, Elfline, O'Neill, Cleveland, Reef, Remmers. Uh, what do all of those players have in common in terms of what they are seen as being the best at run blocking run blocking. Yes. That none of those guys has been talked about as their best attribute is as a pass protector. You do not hear any of those guys being talked about as this is the, and and certainly they have guys that are are decent pass protectors and Brian O'Neill has gotten fairly good at it, but when they're brought in, it's guys that can move, guys that can get to the second level in the zone scheme. That that's something they prioritize, and, and we we know why because their zone scheme's been in, been quite good. But when you have a quarterback who holds the ball, who is not terribly creative, who is not terribly good at being mobile and evading sacks and and doing some of those things, he's gotten better at it, but. That's not going to be the forte of this game. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. That the, Russell Wilson has functioned behind a bad offensive line for the better part of his career, in part because he does certain things that allow him to live that way. Kirk Cousins is not that guy. So I think some of it has been this philosophy of let's get guys for whatever reason, maybe sometimes free agency, those have been the guys they can afford, but to say we need guys that can be above average to very good run blockers and we will uh, figure the rest out as we go. It seems like too a, a kind of a pushback from because when you think about 2016, I believe when the offensive line issues 
really bottomed out. The Jake Long year. Yeah, they they could not move uh, an inch on the offensive line. They couldn't open yes. up anybody. The running game was so atocious, and that was like Mike Zimmer's nightmare. I think he called him soft at one point that year. Yep, was after, year. after the Philly game. Yeah, and, and which is like the worst thing you can call your own offensive lineman. Um, so it just caused a lot of issues. And then the correction point since then, what did they do in 2017 offseason? They signed Riley Reef. They bring in these veteran guys who are not necessarily known as these speed uh, blockers who can match pass, pass rushers who are super quick. It's just guys that we need to move people forward and give Dalvin Cook an inch, and hopefully he'll take a mile. Like that's just kind of how they've kind of done this offense. And then it's almost been the opposite with the draft where they've drafted these lighter guys who can't really move much mm-hmm. to anybody, but Hey, they're quick. Maybe they'll be able to get in front of somebody and then we can kind of build them up. And then hopefully they'll be good enough um, to, to hold up strength wise in the NFL. And so it's just been this hodgepodge mixture. And, and I think the thing that no shocker, if you listen to this podcast or if you're on Viking social media, but the thing to worry about is you remove your franchise left tackle and Riley reef, whom Gary Kubiak, everybody in that franchise talked up as this guy has progressed so much in that he has now basically worked his way back into their plans that they wanted to keep him beyond this year, which was kind of the shelf life of his free agent contract for a quarterback. Who's got a propensity to fumble when he gets hit on the blind side, what are you going to do now? Now, Brian, Brian O'Neill moving him would be, I think a pretty adequate switch, but we see now in, in Ben, you've talked about this too. It, it doesn't matter that much anymore in terms of where they put pass rushers opposing defense. Right. We see Khalil Mack go against Brian O'Neill every Vikings-Bears game. So if you move Brian O'Neill, that's just somebody else then who's going against Khalil Mack right in front of Kirk Cousins. So you need both of those spots shored up. And if that's not at 14 overall, I'm not sure what they're going to do. I mean, trading for Orlando Brown, to me, makes a ton of sense if you can swing it. But paying him, how would you even do that? I mean, there's just so many questions with that. One other name I would throw out there, um, checking around on this a little bit this week, Mitchell Schwartz. Uh, who was a right tackle for a number of years in Kansas City, had back surgery a few weeks ago. Uh, checking on that this week, from what I understand, he's not going to make a decision on a team until closer to the summertime when he's healthy from that back surgery. So the Vikings do have another $7.9 million coming off the cap June 1st when Kyle Rudolph, uh, the, the cut becomes official. So they will have a little bit more money to play with at that point. If Mitchell Schwartz is somebody that they're interested in, probably the right tackle. He's been a right tackle his entire career. You could think about that and then move O'Neill to the left side, or you'd have, you'd have some options there to play with. I, I would think that would be the move. So O'Neill is going to be a tackle one way or the other. But if, if you came out of the draft saying, we don't know where our left tackle is going to be, that is one way they could think about solving it for the future. Ezra Cleveland could end up back there too, but uh, that would be the other name I'd throw out there just to, just something to follow away and keep an eye on. Back to the original question, though, too. It's it, it. You would think they would learn because how many years have they had seasons almost ruined to a degree because they haven't been able to solve this? Certainly, twenty sixteen that year fell apart because the offensive line. You, know, you guys, like you talked about already, they have five and zero start, but then they couldn't. Sam Bradford couldn't spend more than a second and a half. Every throw was like a three yard route because they couldn't throw anything. 2018 was kind of the same thing. Like the, you know, the Kirk Cousins was under duress. They, you know, and they get to the late in the season and Chicago just steamrolls them because they, they, you know, then that game that was basically to get into the playoffs, they can't do anything. 2020 to a certain degree too. even 2017, the best year of the bunch, 
the NFC title game basically turned because Rashad Hill couldn't pass protect and Case Keenum's arm gets hit and it's a pick six. I mean, it's, you would think they would learn at a certain point, even if they have a certain philosophy and maybe change that philosophy. All right. We've got a question here from Evan wants to know, did the Vikings gain ground at all in the NFC North with free agency? What did you guys think about kind of the moves around the division? Um, I guess Ben or Mike, starting with you, you look ready to jump in. What did you think? Well, Green Bay didn't do anything, right? Have they signed a single outside free agent? I know that's kind of what they do, but. I believe they're the only team not to have signed an outside free agent. So, you know, you, you I mean, they got better than Green Bay. They I mean, Green Bay re-signed Aaron Jones. So that's, you know, that's an important move for them to, to keep that together. But we'll see, you know, what else they have cooking. I think there's some talk about an Aaron Rodgers extension restructure. Or not. So, or not. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. I mean. We'll see, you know, if that happens, if that frees up money or what that says about their future. The Lions. Are they trade I mean, Aaron Rodgers because he gets bad? Yeah. <laughs> that could. Um, you know, the Lions, they, you know, they didn't get better. I don't, I don't know about free agency, but certainly the trade for, you know, Stafford and Jared Goff, you know, I I made my thoughts about Stafford, and I don't think he's a, a quarterback you go all in for, but he's certainly better than Jared Goff. I don't know if the Bears got any better. Look, they signed Andy Dalton. Uh, that's the, the division. I think has gotten worse. Uh, I don't. I think it's more wide open than when we started. Not not only that, they they signed Andy Dalton. They cut their best corner and Kyle Fuller. Kyle Fuller was the only guy who could cover either Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson. And the Vikings would keep throwing outside of Kyle Fuller, and now Kyle Fuller's gone. Who was the guy Buster Scrine last year? Yeah, and then it was the rookie, uh, Jalen Johnson. They picked on the other two corners so much, the Vikings did, against the Bears. And now the Bears are like, ah, we'll just cut our good corner now, too, and see what happens. They played it <laughs> the same way Tom Brady did in the NFC title game, of finding Chandon Sullivan and Kevin King, who are both yep. back in Green Bay. Oh, my God. Yeah, the Kevin King contract. To see the response to that on Twitter, that <laughs> was, was glorious. Oh, my yeah. God. Um, all right, we got another question here about who's the ideal wide receiver three? on the Minnesota Vikings. Do they have them on the roster? What do you guys think? I don't know if they do. I mean, I mean, and that's the thing, like it's the kind of thing you don't necessarily need until you need it because they've been, you know, when they had Diggs and Thielen together, those guys got nicked up sometimes, but by and large, they, they played together quite a bit. You had Thielen missed the one game with the COVID last year, but he and Jefferson were largely on the field together. They've, they've been, I don't say fortunate, but they've, they've, they've managed to, you know, they've had two really good receivers for a few years now, but, and they've been able to keep them both healthy the way their offense works. I don't know that they necessarily need a, a, you know, really good number three receiver, but you know, let, you know, one of those guys gets hurt for an extended period of time. All of a sudden you're, you don't have a lot of depth. I do think it's a sneaky need in the sense that cousins likes to have guys that can be safety valves for him. Beebs. Maybe he likes the beeves, but uh, the beeves needs to be able to be more consistent, stay on the field, um, not fumble punts, et cetera. Um, I, it's somebody like that though. I mean, it's somebody that on third and eight, when those other guys are double teamed that you can find for a 12 yard gain, it, you know, it's a name that we have mentioned in the past, I think, that they never have really replaced. Jerry is right. I mean, a guy like that, I think it's one of those players that goes underappreciated while they're there. But then when they're gone, it's like, yeah, that guy that could just 
come up with a big first down a couple times a game to keep a drive going that you have to have. I, I think they've had a hard time replacing that. And BC Johnson, I think they have hoped could be that. I just, I don't know that BC Johnson is the guy that is going to be able to get separation in a big spot when you need it. Um, I, I feel like they're not quite as enamored of him as they were initially. Um, I, yeah. Somebody that can line up in the slot and, get a get a big first down i think is in, in that kind of jarius right mold I, I think they can certainly benefit from that maybe that's jarius, the jarius Wright's a good one i think jarius Wright was the receiver that kirk cousins wants chad Beebe to be yeah i, I think <laughs> he, that's a good way to put it did the guy that every third down jarius Wright would just come up with the catch it didn't matter yep. at the end of the year he'd had 17 catches on 18 targets and 12 of them would be on third down and just moving the chains every single yep. time you just yep. come up with it um, yeah, the Vikings don't have that right now. And, and you bring up the guys on the roster, BV, Ola BC Johnson. Um, yeah, I think the Vikings want Chad to be that. I, certainly, it's just that's such a big question mark. I would assume you're going to see them bring in more people, though, this offseason who can help. And whether that's through the draft or, or some bargain bin free agents, you're going to see some new additions there because that current group they got, I don't think is going to totally cut it right now. Um, all right, guys, do we have any other questions? What else should we get to here? We got plenty of questions actually about trading up or trading back. And Mike, since you brought up um, the Mel Kuyper mock draft where they had him trading up, I think he had him trading up to number nine to take the top offensive tackle. Um, what do you think about the Vikings potential to just stay at 14 or move up or move down when people ask about the draft? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's going to cost you. And again, it's the, the hard thing is you don't have the second round pick. You would however you have to be, you know, I think, I think it was in Kuiper's piece or maybe it was somebody else who had, you know, had seen that mock would say it would cost at least maybe their 2022 second rounder as well to move up. Maybe one of those third and fourth rounders this year too. Um, so they've got a lot of that. It, you know, if you think you can get your franchise tackle by moving up five spots and he's there, I think you, you, you would probably do it even if it meant, you know, Hey, you might not be here in 2022 to run that draft. Why not sacrifice a 2022 first or second round pick? Um, you know, so that would certainly, you know, if you think you can get your anchor for the next, you know, eight to 10 years opposite Brian O'Neill, you can do that. I'm, I'm more intrigued by, I, I don't see them necessarily moving back. Um, you know, maybe you could and recoup that second round pick if you think you can get value lower on the board, but you know, you got so many needs, you probably want to maximize what you can get. The thing I can see them doing maybe more readily is packaging a couple of those kind of third round picks to move back into the second round. If they see someone there value that they like, uh, and I don't, I don't see a whole lot of move down possibilities this year. Boy, those are famous last words. <laughs> In the seventh round, I see possibilities. They don't have we a seventh round pick right now. We didn't now. even talk about how they lost that seventh round pick for their Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. They, they lose the seventh round pick because of a salary cap violation with a practice squad player in 2019 uh, three executives find $10,000 each, um, according to um, the story we wrote last Friday after the, the NFL um, announced that. Well, I guess we found out about it a little bit ahead of the NFL announcing the draft order. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the lack of a seventh-round pick, I mean, ten grand, I'm sure Rick can afford it, but the seventh-round pick, I, don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't know for sure that Rick was one of the people that was fined, but – um, if he was, he can afford the 10 grand. The seventh round pick is hitting him where it hurts. Yeah, that might that might lead him to trade back a little bit. You got to recoup some of those late round picks. <laughs> got to get the new <laughs> record this year. 
maybe that's why I want, yeah, we don't know exactly what the violation was. It was involving some kind of salary cap violation, as Ben said, with that practice squad player. But um, yeah, might as well just draft the guys so the contracts are locked in and you got no more violations. So maybe that's the whole reason why they try to get half the seventh round. Who knows? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Do we have any more questions or should that be it? I think that's about it. I, I can't think of anything we didn't hit on. Lots of good questions from everybody, but we can always uh, can always grab those next time around. Too. It's a long off season, everybody. It's a long that's, off season. That's true. That's true. And thanks for checking out all of our work. Um, please look for more at StarTribune.com and download and subscribe to the Access Vikings podcast. Maybe you should get off the podcast.